Hey everyone, it's Hamish from the Young Investors Podcast. Myself and Brandon are excited to bring you your weekly rundown of the latest business and investing news from around the world. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back. Hamish, you are battling your boom arm over there. How are you going? Have you well, finally wrestled it back down? Well, here's the thing. I always battle the boom arm and then because and I don't need to be. I'm just fidgeting. But now yeah. it actually is um it's kind of uh, not really working, you, so. You I'll do lie. fidget a lot. We got you got called out, didn't you, in a comment recently? Uh, like, I got called out in a few comments. <laughs> oh, okay. It was a few, was it? Yeah. Well, I'm a we fidgeter. actually got a comment. Yeah. We actually got a comment on last week's episode saying that you were in fine form, and I do agree. Wait, last, last week, week you were. Yeah, last week oh, you were just thanks. fast and loose. You I think I was. Yeah, I think I woke up on the wrong truths. side of the bed. I think I was a bit angry. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we need to. Uh, maybe we need to agitate you a little bit more. Yeah, often. I've been, I've been the real Hamish. That's right. I've been trying to fix my sleep. Maybe I need to make it worse. I, need, <laughs> I should just not I'm, sleep. I'm going to jump in and say, "Don't do that, Hamish." Yeah, no, you, you that. of all people, you need some sleep. Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah. I do feel for you sometimes when you struggle to sleep. Nah, it's okay. It's all good. I got a taste of what it, what it feels like to be you when we're over in the states and we're battling that um, jet lag. We both had a tough time. Yeah, it we was, did uh, have a tough time. It was rough. Yeah, I mean, getting up at well, we had to get up early for the Berkshire meeting. So not only were we jet lagged, we were getting up at weird times, we we're working at weird yep. times. It was uh, yeah, it was kind of chaos. But uh, yeah. it was actually really rough because yeah, every night it was like something different was happening. We're going to sleep at a different time. We either could sleep or we couldn't sleep. And then we'd change, we'd move. So we'd change time zone. And then, yeah, I I think like, imagine the Formula One drivers where they're racing every other week in different countries. And they're like going from like Spain to Australia to Mexico to, you know, Qatar. Yeah. It'd just be crazy yeah there's like a there's a video or something that went around on instagram of of the where they fly and how inefficient it is like they're just bouncing oh, all over terrible. the place like it's not even as if they're doing it in the best way for the time zone so that there's the least impact they're going you know from the u.s to the europe back to the u.s it's just all over the place yeah that would be crazy because um what i think it's like for every two hours of time zone difference or something, you have to you need a day or something like that. So it's it's actually really? quite a long time. If you're if there's a eight hour difference in time zone, you I think it's supposed to be like it takes you a week or more to get back to not your normal wow. like your body. Um, it's like the rule kind of, of thumb fixes is it? itself. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it is crazy for them to be doing that. Yeah, every yeah. every two weeks, sometimes back to back weeks. Yeah, they all say that they just have to try and get used to it, and I guess they they would. They've got no other option. They just have to get used to it. But yeah, yeah it is crazy looking at that map of how inefficient their travel is. Ridiculous. People always say, "Oh, they need to you know turn Formula One to you know electric vehicles and that kind of thing to you know for their carbon emissions to 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 be net zero." I'm like, no, no, no. Honestly, with Formula One. They could race whatever engines, however much fuel in the cars they wanted. The the thing that's going to make Formula One closer to net zero is the travel, mm. is the flights, the flights and the shipping. That's where all the carbon around Formula One gets emitted. It's in the travel to to the venues that's true. and around the world. Mm. Like literally, like the car racing is nothing nothing in compared to the aeroplanes that they use and the yeah. fuel that they burn up in the sky. Yeah, I never really thought about um, that. Even just all the people who travel 
diff- to different locations for the event as well. Like all of just the patrons yep. going to the event. Yeah, there'd be an yep. enormous amount of... Um, huge yeah, emissions. Yeah, yeah, huge yeah. emissions. Yeah. Yeah. So very interesting. Anyway, we're not talking about Formula One today, Hamish. No. As much as I would like to, because I would chew your ear off for a lot longer than an hour about Formula One. <laughs> um, we are going to be talking about... Oh, yeah, we've got that debt ceiling follow-up from last week. We won't spend yes. too much time on it because we covered it in so much detail last week, but we do obviously have the resolution to that now, um, as I'm sure everybody has heard. Um, WWDC, uh, Apple's uh, Worldwide Developers Conference, they announced some very interesting things Mm. at that conference, which we are going to talk about, potentially game-changing. I'm I'm just going to float that out there. We'll we'll have a bit of a discussion. Um, What are you talking about as well? What have you found? Uh, We had the Reserve Bank of Australia's monetary policy decision this week, uh, their rate hike decision. Uh, We've got some news out of GameStop, which has been uh, a little bit quiet for a while. So uh, it's uh, nice to see the the meme stock back in the news. And then uh, if we get to it, there's uh, some uh, SEC uh, trouble with a couple of the big crypto exchanges that I'll, uh, I'll spend a bit of time talking about. I saw something about that, but I I didn't uh, I didn't take the time to really dive into it yet. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, I'll have to get you to bring me up to speed on that. Um, okay. With that said, Hamish, should mm. we uh, should we jump into the sponsor Let's segment? Let's do it. Today's episode is sponsored by ShareSite, which is an application you can use to track the performance of your stock portfolio. So you can bring in all of your trades either automatically by connecting your broker to ShareSite, or you can do it manually by downloading your trades from your broker using Excel, uh, or you can enter your trades in one by one if you want. And once you do that, it will track all the gains and losses in your portfolio. So capital gains, dividends. If you have dividend reinvestment plans, it will do those those calculations for you. Uh, Currency gains, if you're buying shares internationally or you hold foreign currencies. Uh, And then uh, the main reason why I use it is when it comes to tax time. So ShareSite generates up to 12 different reports that can be used at tax time to work out things such as capital gains, dividend income, and more. Uh, At the moment, you can try ShareSite for free by heading over to sharesite.com forward slash young investors. That's site spot S-I-G-H-T, sharesite.com forward slash young investors. So use that link. You can sign up to a free plan and track up to 10 holdings, stocks, ETFs, bonds, that sort of thing. Uh, 10 holdings for as long as you want. Or if you want to sign up to a premium plan for more features uh, and you use our link, you'll get four months off a yearly subscription. So go check it out. And uh, as always, thanks to those who have signed up uh, to ShareSite through our link and are supporting the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> All right, let's get into it. I just want to cover this one off the off the top straight away um, as a follow-up to last week. So, well, where do we leave it last week? They, That's right, we were looking yeah. as we were talking they were voting on yes. this debt ceiling bill. Yes. Yeah, so it was uh, it was moving through the House of Representatives. Uh, so it has to go House of Representatives, Senate, and then to Joe Biden has to sign off on it. The, the um, president has to sign off on it. And yeah, at the time they'd done, they were actually just voting on the House. Uh, and we thought that it would probably pass the House, but we that's all the information we kind of had uh, at the yep. time. Um, well, as you guys all would have seen, I, I'm sure this comes as no shock to anybody. Um, Joe Biden signs debt ceiling deal just two days before the US would have started running out of money. <laughs> Jeez, they cut it fine, didn't they? They do, yeah. They cut it fine. Um, and it wouldn't have been an immediate thing, but after that time period, they just would have had to start choosing who doesn't get paid. That's That was the real problem. It's not like it's an instantaneous, the you know, sky falls and the world blows up. Um, but they would have had to start choosing who wasn't getting money. So, but anyway, that didn't happen because they got the debt ceiling bill passed, Hooray. Um, signed into law. Yep, new legislation. It's done. 
Uh, so it says here, US President Joe Biden has signed legislation lifting the nation's debt ceiling and averting an unprecedented default on the federal government's debt. The legislation was signed with just two days to spare until the Treasury Department warned the country would start running short of cash which would have sent shockwaves through the US and global economies. The final agreement passed by the House on Wednesday and the Senate on Thursday will suspend the debt limit until 2025, um, and it also restricts government spending. So it's a it's an issue for after the next election. Yep. Um, that's what you were saying saying last week, yep. right? Kick that can. Kick it kick it hard. <laughs> kick it down the road. Kick it down the road. Just yeah. suspend. We'll, we'll talk about it. We'll think about it later. Whatever. Um, so, yes, after Congress passed the legislation, Mr. Biden used the occasion to deliver his first speech from the Oval Office as president on Friday. Apparently, he hasn't given a speech from the Oval Office yet wow. until, uh, there you until go. this one. There you go. Uh, He said, quote, no one got everything they wanted, but the American people got what they needed. Um, He said that highlighting the compromise and consensus in the deal, quote, we averted an economic crisis and an economic collapse. Uh, Mr. Biden touted the achievements of his first term as he runs for re-election, including support for high-tech manufacturing, infrastructure investments and financial incentives for fighting climate change. He also highlighted ways he blunted Republican efforts to roll back his agenda and achieve deeper cuts. Uh, In addition to restrictions on spending, the 99-page bill changes some policies, including uh, imposing new work requirements for older Americans receiving food aid and green lighting and Appalachian uh, natural gas pipeline that many Democrats oppose. Um, so that, and we spoke about the, I think we spoke about the details of what was in the bill last week. We spent a fair chunk of time on that. So if you're interested in more of that, um, definitely go have a read, but it says it sailed through the vote, sailed through the house. Um, the vote was 314 to 117 on Wednesday and it cleared the Senate on Thursday by a vote of 63 to 36. There you go. There you go. It's pretty convincing in the end. Yeah, it's interesting because, yeah, it is kind of just moving the goalposts once again. I mean, the, the, the fundamental issue, I think, is that the US for a very long time, as we kind of spoke about last week, for really the past 20 years has consistently been in deficit where their spending is kind of yeah. significantly more than revenue. I mean, at the moment I'm looking at, uh, so the federal tax uh, revenue came in at $4.7 trillion at the moment, yeah. but they're spending $6.2 trillion, <laughs> which is an enormous deficit, which means, yeah, every single year the, the debt's just going to keep going up. It's not even that, you know, the debt is kind of plateauing um, yep. at the enormous amount that it is already. Uh, it's still rising. Uh, and that means that mm. as uh, with interest rate rises as well, it means the percentage of uh, federal uh, spending is going to, uh, that is uh, for interest payments on that debt is going to continue to rise. And it's already mm. a huge amount. Uh, it's already $500, million, uh, $500 billion um, wow. is, uh, is the interest nice. on that debt, which is an enormous yeah. chunk of, uh, you know, their, their spending. So um, that is, that is a lot. Um and uh, yeah, I guess yeah. Coming back to what you were saying before, this is kind of a kicking the can down the road situation. I think you're kind of alluding to this is what they really need to focus on, and this is something that I guess Ray Dalio is very quick to jump on. Yeah. Is you know this this while the debt ceiling is an issue, and oh, we vote and we we extended the debt ceiling, yay, the world is saved. It's not really saved, and I think this is what you were talking to me a little bit about last week. It's just that what they need to do is focus on either earning more 
or spending less. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that they they don't they don't necessarily you know the big task of the government shouldn't be to deliberate whether they need to get the debt ceiling raised they should just be focusing on fixing the underlying issue which is the fact that they don't make enough and they spend too much <laughs> yeah yeah and, and dalio yeah i mean i think he he posted a memo you know, a few weeks ago talking about this and he actually thinks that uh while yeah the debt ceiling uh, not being raised and a US default would have been catastrophic. He thinks that it, just kicking the can down the road is still a, a very uh, tough situation for the US because it's going to put the Federal it Reserve... Change it doesn't change anything. It puts the Federal Reserve in a tricky situation where there's inflation uh, and, and potentially we're going to see you know some stickiness of inflation and that means more interest rate rises. But all of those interest rate rises put more and more pressure on the US government, which has that huge debt burden. So it's just you know, rock in a hard place where the Federal Reserve has to decide between saving the US government or inflation. Uh, and it's a, it's a tricky situation that's kind of, I think, will continue to hum along over the next couple of years. It's, uh, you know, as these things go, it's not, a, it's not a quick event that happens over a couple of weeks. This is kind of a, you know, a, 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 a change that's been happening for decades, even over mm. a century. So um, we kind of yeah. just have to see how it kind of plays out. <clears throat> yep, something does need to be done. But with that said, that is pretty much all we had to talk about today on the debt ceiling bill. It got passed. It is done. Woo-hoo. The debt ceiling has been suspended until after the next election. Yep. We'll, um, so, we'll see you in 2025. We'll be, we'll be back. Yep. With the- <laughs> <laughs> we will. We will indeed. Uh, we'll see you then. Uh, okay, mm. Hamish, what would you like to talk about next, my uh, friend? Let's go. We'll go through the RBA's uh, rate decision just very quickly. Um, okay. Of course, we've, we kind of do this every single month, um, and, and you know, it's uh, it's always kind of the same story. So I'll go kind of quickly through mm-hmm. it. But uh, the Reserve Bank, of course, uh, the, the central bank in Australia, decided to raise interest rates for the twelfth time in this kind of um, rate hike cycle. Uh, they raised the interest rate twenty five basis points to four point one percent. And right. uh, so that represents, yeah, as I said, 12 consecutive rate hikes since April uh, of last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, governor of the federal, uh, the governor of the RBA said inflation in Australia has passed its peak, but it's 7% is still too high and will take some time before it's back in the target range. This further... Uh, This further increase in interest rates is to provide greater confidence that inflation will return to target within a reasonable time frame, which I'm pretty sure is the exact same thing that he said last month when he, when they raised. So, um, yeah. Um, That's right. This is what we're talking about with the media. What was the media reaction this time? Shock, (laughs) horror. Oh my God. What? uh, Are you kidding me? I was talking about last week how there was a Guardian article from last month that said the chance of a rate hike was 17%. They put out the same article before the rate decision uh, just a few days ago and they had it at uh, 30%. So I thought it was still pretty funny that they're still not in this, they're still like not in the point where they're suggesting that it's more likely than not that there would be a rate hike, which to me is mind blowing. Uh, And once again, every, uh, all the four major banks, um, their economists were saying there was not going to be a rate hike, which is yeah, kind of, (laughs) kind of crazy, but um, there you go. Um, Yeah. The consensus now, I think, whose was I looking at? I was looking at, I was listening to the the head economist for ANZ and they think that uh, now interest rates will stop 
at four point, I think it was 4.25%, which is like half a rate hike from here is now their new projection for where rates will, will peak. So they just moved the goalposts. It's just, mm. it's just like when the next rate hike, or if there's another rate hike and it comes in, they'll just move their projection up a few basis points. And they're just, it's almost like they're just reacting to what's actually happening rather than making a projection. Um, so, you know, that's uh, always take their projections with a pinch of salt. Um, in terms of uh, mortgage impact, it's always uh, a, a kind of a news, news will always kind of report what the monthly increase will be if the banks decide mm-hmm. to pass on the interest rate increase. Uh, and uh, as of as same as last month, it'll be about an $80 per month increase for an average $500,000 mortgage. Uh, and in total now, the increase since April last year is twelve hundred, a little bit over twelve hundred dollars per month, on a right. five hundred thousand dollar mortgage, which is a lot uh, now. Mm. Like you're talking about, I mean, yeah, you're talking about more than ten thousand dollars, much more than ten thousand dollars per year um, that people are paying. And I think it's now about a fifty percent increase in your overall mortgage payments since the start of the rate hikes, which is yeah, wow. that's a you know very considerable increase. Substantial. Mm. Uh, Westpac uh, was the first bank to pass on the hike. Uh, I believe from what I was looking at, they're the only one that's actually passed on this rate hike so far, but all four banks will very likely do it eventually. Um, They just don't want to be the first one because it cops all all the news headlines. Uh, Interestingly, Mm. Westpac did not increase the savings rates. Uh, They said that it's under review. So... um, thought that was an interesting move. They, interesting. They, they kind of snap increase their mortgage rates, but uh, but savings rates is under review. Um, so they've got to, they've got to make sure they, they, they look at that really carefully. Yeah, we'll, we will consider it. We'll look, we're not saying yes. We're not saying no. We'll have a look. Yeah. We'll, and then we'll get yeah. more profitable. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's, it's kind of interesting because, you know, of course, all of these interest rate increases, the, the purpose of this is to slow the economy and, and, and ultimately slow spending and, and reduce inflation. And there is a bit of evidence across the economic data uh, to suggest that uh, it, the rate hikes are starting to have an impact. Um, so these are some of the key ratios that you'll see the news talk about. And these are kind of the main kind of macroeconomic factors um, that you would think about. Inflation, first of all, uh, is down from its December peak, which was 7.8%. So it's still 6.8%, I think. So it's still quite high, but it's come down a little bit. Economic growth was reported this week as well, slowed to 0.2% in the latest quarter. So there's practically no economic growth at the moment. Unemployment increased to 3.7%, which is still uh, absolute rock bottom, very tight labor market, uh, but was a slight increase. Uh, The savings ratio, which is just a comparison of uh, percentage of household income being saved, dropped to Mm. 3.7%, the lowest rate since 2008. Um, so the rate at which people are saving is, um, extremely low, uh, and then excess COVID savings, uh, which is what a lot of people have been talking about, all these kind of stimulus checks and, and excess savings people have is expected to be depleted by September of 2023 of this year. Um, so that, that's, you know, some data points that suggest, you know, there is progress being made, uh, in terms of slowing consumer spending, uh, mm. and, and, and slowing the economy, which unfortunately is kind of the lesser of two evils uh, in order to get inflation under control. Nice. There you go. Um, all right. I have, no, I have nothing to add on that. Take us... Um, uh, should we yeah, take us wrap th- things up for RBA rate hikes? Yeah. Take us through, uh, take us through Apple's event. I noticed um, I tuned in just, just for a little bit of it and I saw mm. they had a million concurrent live viewers on their YouTube presentation, <laughs> which is just astounding 
Um, yeah. And on top of that, I was I actually saw the live stream through uh, a, a Twitch streamer who was watching it to fifty thousand people. So, and there was a number of streamers wow. doing that. So, I would love to know the overall number of you know direct people yeah. watching was about a million, but then all of the other people watching through streamers as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, I've I've never I don't a think lot. I've ever seen an event on YouTube have a million concurrent viewers. I think it's the biggest I've ever seen. But yeah, yeah. kind of wild. I've I don't think I've ever seen that. But yeah, it would be it's it's an unknowable stat, but it would be cool to know like how many eyeballs were on that event. Yeah. Um, and fair enough because they announced some very interesting stuff. So I will uh, save the juicy stuff to end to the end, and I'll just go through some of the uh, some of the stuff up front. They announced a new 15-inch MacBook Air, so the cheaper version of the MacBook um, has the M2 chip. It's starting at 12.99 USD. Um, they note up to 12 times faster than the fastest Intel-based MacBook Air. It's got a 15.3-inch display, 18-hour battery life, um, and then the f- the new th- uh, sorry the 13-inch MacBook Air now drops to uh, 10.99 for a price. So I think it gets a little bit cheaper. Um, they also announced after that the new M2 Ultra chip. So as it did with M1, it connects the two Max chips together. So this one connects the two uh, the two M2 Max. Chip. Oh my god, <laughs> such a tongue twister! Uh, connects them together. It's a 24 core GPU and it's 20 percent faster than M1 Ultra. It's a 76 core GPU. Uh, it's 30 percent faster than M1 Ultra. It supports 192 gigabytes of unified memory, which is 50 percent more than the M1 Ultra. Um, they also announced there's new Mac Studios, which are now coming out with the M2 Max and the uh, M2 Ultra chips, and that's starting at uh, $2,000 each. Um, Mac Pro um, was also updated. The tower, the big, the big juicy tower, that was the last, the last Apple product to be updated to have Apple Silicon in it. Right. So that now comes with an M2 Ultra, and it starts at $7,000. So... Yeah. Quite, quite an expensive yeah. computer. It's not cheap, as, as, <laughs> as Jen from the IT crowd would say. Um, so that was their. Um, is it Jen? Is that the character's yeah, name? Is. I'm yeah, pretty yeah. sure it's Jen. That's a yeah. great show. That's such a good show, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> I need to go back and rewatch it. <laughs> I know everything about computers. <laughs> uh, so good. Um, anyway, that's that was all their well. For now, that was their hardware stuff. Um, then they went on to talk about their software and all the software updates. And oh my gosh, Hamish Hodder, the amount of times they said machine learning. <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time they said machine learning, yeah. I would be a millionaire. Do you reckon they have like, oh. I mean, they definitely do, but I just, I just find it funny imagining like the meeting where they decide which words they need to include a lot of because they're buzzwords for the year, <laughs> you know, whatever it is like AI or machine learning AI. or what, whatever it is. Like they, they definitely have a meeting where they decide which words they're going to use to describe certain things <laughs> a lot. Like autonomous, like yeah, let's chuck that in. That's that, you know, that's it. A- <laughs> <laughs> oh, so true. It's yeah. so true. They because they use machine learning, but they follow it up with nothing. They just say thanks to machine learning. Yeah, yeah. and that's it. Yeah, it's it's like you know, hook line and singer. They're just using it as a buzzword. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, iOS seventeen 
for iPhone. Uh, there's updates to the call app. You can now get a live transcript of voicemail. That's, that's sick. That's pretty handy. So you can, as they're leaving a message, the live transcript, you can decide whether you want to pick it up or not. That's pretty cool. Mm. Um, FaceTime, big updates, Hamish. You can now record and leave a message. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Phenomenal. Uh, messages <laughs> and searches improved. Um, audio messages. You know how sometimes it can be a bit annoying when someone leaves you an audio message because it's going to take a minute out of your day just to listen to them speak. Mm. Well, audio messages are now auto-transcribed, wow. which is pretty cool. How, how do they make that? Like, what are, what are they? Do they use, like, machine learning to do that? I, Look, Hamish, I, I think you might be onto something. Some kind there. of AI algorithm? Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. yeah, AI algorithm. Anyway. An autonomous AI algorithm. <laughs> Machine learnings itself. No, Autonomous no. transcribe. Um, <laughs> they also, uh, in messages, they also have a check-in functionality as well, which is if you want to just let your family know what time you're expected to be home, you can right. send them a little check-in thing. And then it's all automatic. When you go out, uh, it kind of just tracks where you are and whether you're making progress back towards where you said you were going to be at that time. Uh, if you get there, you don't have to like do anything. It just automatically kind of updates saying, yep, they checked in back home at 11 p.m. Um, but right. if you don't make it in time, you can either ex- or if you're not going to, you can either extend the time. Or if um, if the check-in doesn't hear back from you, it will notify your loved one. So it can share things like your current location, the route that you took, uh, your battery level, and your cell service whether they're going to be able to contact you. And that system is also end-to-end encrypted. So I thought that was oh. kind of kind of cool. Yeah, battery levels actually sick because then I guess if your phone is dead. Potentially, they can yeah. relay that, or or is about to die. They can relay that information, and like, oh, that's why they're mm. not contacting because their phone's yeah. dead. That's interesting. I like phone's that. dead, or they got no service. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So that's just. I thought that was quite a nifty little thing. Yeah. Um, probably more handy in America than in somewhere like Australia. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we'll leave that for another day. Um, airdrop. <laughs> you can. Um, you can bring not twenty three. You can bring two iPhones close to each other, and you can automatically swap contact information. I thought that was cool. Right. So you just zoop, hold it together, swap contact information. You can choose what details you do or don't want to swap. That kind of thing. Um, you can also do that as well uh, between uh, for for photos. You can just bring the phones close together. Just decide, hey, you want these photos? Transfer them over. That's pretty cool. Mm. Um, SharePlay is now functionality. You can listen to the same piece of music. You can say, watch the same Twitch stream. You just bring it close together, uh, SharePlay, and off you go. Mm. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and autocorrect is now getting better. They've fixed, uh, they've improved sentence level autocorrect and can now fix more grammatical problems, which is cool. Um, there's uh, also a new journaling app for all those mindful people out there. Um, standby mode, um, if you want to put your phone on a little stand and access an alarm clock, Groundbreaking, I know. Wow. Um, they announced iPad OS 17, which honestly, uh, I don't know. There's not a lot to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> Updates to PDFs. So I'm going to skip right past iPad. Yep. <laughs> Mac OS Sonoma got announced. Um, with This is the thing. When that Craig guy, you know that Craig guy yeah, um, yeah, that yeah. talks about the Apple software? He just... It's so, he gets so pumped up about the <laughs> dumbest things. Like he's like Mac OS Sonoma, and we have revolutionary new screensavers. It's like, God damn! Can you just get to the point? 
So, yes, they have revolutionary moving screensavers, Hamish. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, you can I- now put widgets on your desktop. Uh, Safari is apparently better, relevant to absolutely nobody because uh, nobody uses Safari. <laughs> and uh, gaming is apparently better, also relevant to no one because who games on their Mac? Um, Pretty much. Anyway, then they gave a quick update on AirPods. Adaptive audio is getting better, so it blocks out harmful background noise and it can detect better relevant noise. Um, hmm. That's pretty much it. There's a lot of just mumbo-jumbo. They love to just make a big fuss out of the dumbest stuff. Yeah. Um, but. But then. But then. <laughs> but then we get to the good thing, uh, which they saved till last, which was the announcement of Apple Vision Pro, Ooh. which is Apple's brand spanking new VR headset. Hamish Hodder, Very did exciting. you see it? I did. I did. I, uh, that was the only part of the presentation that I, I've actually watched. Um, which I was excited to see because, uh, yeah, this has been kind of teased for a long time and uh, it's finally kind of, uh, there, there's there's some significant competition, I think, now to, to Meta's yep. Quest Pro, I think it was, that they released, yep. I want to say, late last year or, or sometime during last year. Um, mm. So, yeah, uh, yeah, take us through, take us through the, uh, the announcement. This is interesting and this is more like stock market relevant stuff. The stuff before was just Apple stuff if you're an apple shareholder then whoop de doo i'm sure you loved it but yeah <laughs> this is really interesting because now we've got up until now we've just seen facebook i mean everybody's working like microsoft's work google's working on a vi headset they're all working on one but meta was the only one going out there and saying no we've got products you can come and buy our quest pro you can have it in your house you can use it you know we're sinking however many billions of dollars a year into metaverse development obviously mark zuckerberg this is the only thing he's spoken about for like the last couple of years now he's just so focused on it um but now so you've got meta pushing forward and spending heaps of money on r&d trying to really get the ar vr kind of uh, form factor right and try and make it become the new personal device that we all use. Obviously, now we just use our phones. They want it to be the next big thing. But now you've got Apple coming in and going, hello, Meta. We agree that, you know, this could be the next big personal device, personal computing device, and we're going to take you on. So there's a lot of of headbutting right now between Meta and Apple. I mean, they've already got a colourful history with the Apple's ad... tracking transparency and now they're butting heads even more so it'll be very interesting to see so i'll I'll talk a little bit about the headset so it's it if you haven't seen it already it's just a vr headset as as you might imagine one you just slip it on over your eyes it sits on your head and um, apparently as you look through it it's it's got that transparency function so you see the world around you as it as it is normally and then all of your apps kind of just come up uh, in front of you and then you just look around and you just look at the different apps and you click your fingers together like that to um, to open an app and yeah. then you just like scroll it's like using a phone but you're just using your eyes you can look at a search field and then just start talking and it'll start filling the search field with what you're saying yeah it's pretty cool um you can also control your level of immersion. So you can either make it just fully kind of transparent where things are appearing in your regular normal field of view in the room that you're in, or you can crank a dial and it be fully blacks it out. So you actually get fully immersed and it blocks out the world around you, which I thought was cool. Um, yeah. I think, I think a lot of people underestimate how much people are going to be using these devices in the next decade, um, especially as they get lighter and uh, cheaper. Yeah. Uh, having being able to have 
multiple screens for your desktop without actually having physical screens is just massive, especially if you're a creator, mm. uh, to be able to have basically unlimited screen space yep. uh, and not be limited by how much you can spend on physical hardware screens uh, yep. is, 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 huge, is massive. And home entertainment as well. Basically being yep. able to bring eventually pretty much any size screen into your living room. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I think I think a lot of people underestimate it. And it's very cool because the t- the so they have let let me get this right. Where did I put it, Hamish? Here I put it. Um, so there there's two panels, right? One for each eye, each about the size of a postage stamp. I was saying, and then the optics kind of bend it as it needs to. And there are 23 million pixels across those two panels. So they actually um, they fit 64 pixels into the same space as a single iPhone pixel. Yeah, it's crazy. Crazy. How insane is that? Yeah. So I think it's a 4K screen. So if you drag up screens, they're like going to be, if you max it, it's going to be like 4K resolution. So they're going to be like, it should, I imagine, look very good. So you're absolutely right. And I think that's what Apple has to really target is that, yes, this is, what is it? Three thousand four. <laughs> this starts at three thousand four hundred and ninety nine US dollars. It's available early next year, apparently, and it's starting just in the United States. I think three thousand four hundred ninety nine dollars. But you really have to, you have to find the audience where this is going to replace. I mean, this is essentially what it's a phone, it's a TV, it's a computer. So you have to find people that really use a lot. I mean, it's really the ultimate ecosystem product yeah in in my opinion because it really ties everything together from your phone goes straight to your vr headset you know if you want to watch tv boom vr headset um there's a mode where you can just look at your macbook pro out in front of you Mm. and the screen of your macbook will turn off and it will come up into a virtual screen from your apple vision pro and then you're using the processing power of your macbook but your screen is private in your uh, VR headset. Mm. So I thought that was re- pretty cool. So it's it's the ultimate ecosystem. It'll tap into everything. So I think it's a really powerful product for Apple if they execute it well. But you really do have to um, you have to sell people that this is a multiple device kind of thing and it's worth that kind of money. Yeah, and this is kind of the approach that many businesses kind of take when it comes to new tech is they'll start with this high-end expensive product that's really just for like first adopters, uh, people who just want to be on Mm. the bleeding edge of the VR technology. And then they can use that capital to kind of work their way towards a cheaper product that's available for the masses. Um, Mm. And I mean, yeah, Apple has taken this approach numerous times. Um, I mean, historically, their iPhones were just flagship, the most expensive smartphone you could buy. And, you know, now they have quite a wide range of products, um, including ones that are um, very reasonably priced. So it makes sense that they're taking this approach. Um, but it was interesting to see because yeah, there's a lot of, uh, um, we kind of heard a lot about a lot of features that we've seen with Meta's, uh, uh, Quest Pro, uh, but also some features that were seem brand new, um, that even Meta isn't able to do yet, which I thought was really interesting. Mm. Yeah, what did you what what uh, what took your fancy? Yeah, I think um, I, I saw MKBHD talking about this, 
uh, the the thing that he said. His video was great. Yeah, and he's yeah. used both products. Uh, not many people have, so I think it's a great way to get an insight into how it actually stacks up. But one of the things that I noticed was he was very impressed by the navigation in the device, which is they're, they're tracking your eyes. So you can just look at applications within the device uh, and then you just kind of pinch your fingers together to click. And he said that um, it took a little while to get used to because just naturally he would kind of do this, like just fidgeting. I'm sure I would be useless with these devices because I'm always doing this. But eventually- You'd be clicking everywhere. Yeah, but eventually it, it was just super organic. Um, and I think, I'm pretty sure the, the Meta Pro does have- that kind of tracking, but they do have controllers, not the kind of the, uh, the you don't just pinch your fingers together. But uh, it, it seems like Apple's was a lot better than uh, Meta, Meta's, mm. at least according to MKBHD. So um, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I think the interesting thing will be to see, so it obviously starts expensive with early adopters, but how cheap can they get this product yeah. without compromising quality because there's I think I read here there's 12 yeah they said there's 12 cameras five sensors and six microphones <laughs> they've also yeah. got uh, it's powered by an an, an M2 chip and then yeah. it's, they've got an R1 chip which which runs in parallel which is a specialized chip for real time sensor processing so the purpose yeah. of this chip is to reduce the latency so the headset is able to stream info like very quickly yeah and um effectively like reduce nausea lag which is responsible for the motion sickness that people yeah. get um, that, when they're yeah. using these he headsets that's probably what the one of the biggest issues with vr headsets is that even if the response time is extremely small your brain can just tell and it, it can it, mm. even the smallest amount your, your brain just thinks t can tell something's not right um yeah. and then that for some people for most people eventually, but some people very quickly, it, it your body sends you the signal that's, you know, you're sick and that, you know, you, you, you have to, you know, you're nauseous, you become nauseous from it in the same yeah. way that when you're traveling in a vehicle, some people will get sick because your brain is trying to figure out, uh, why the hell you're moving, but everything around you looks like it's still, if you're like looking inside the vehicle. Um, yeah. so it is a, yeah, it's interesting. It'd be, it'd be great to try out this product and, and see how good it is because I have, I have a HTC Vive, which was from, it was it was kind of the the best ones at the time, but from a long from quite a few years ago, uh, and even that device was quite good. But if you used it for a long time, you definitely got motion sick, um, right? Because okay. you could you could definitely tell there was quite a bit of lag. So it'd be interesting to see how good it is now. Yeah, and my 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 theory, my question is just like, how good does this product stay? As it gets cheaper, as they refine, you know, they take cost out of it, they're going to have to take sensors out of it. You know, how, how good can it stay? Because it needs to be great. If it's not, if it's laggy at all, if it's not like iPhone, like super easy, everything like nice and quick and responsive and perfect. If it's not like that from Apple, I think people are just like, ah. So it'll be interesting to see where... I think it's always going to be a premium product. I don't think yeah. it ever. I think it's always more expensive than a phone. I don't think you can get around that. For, for top but, end, I think, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But um, and, and it, I don't know how cheap it can get over time. Yeah. I mean, so, so you know, Meta has their their normal Quest product, which is, I think, three or $400. But yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. it's, it's missing a lot of the, the uh, features that would make it uh, something you could use for your work, say for four hours straight or for six hours straight yeah. or to watch a movie. Um, you, you can do these things on, on the cheaper devices, but it's just not that comfortable after a while because your brain just 
it just does. It's just not quite um, like real enough. It's not quite good enough. Um, but mm. yeah, I mean, if you're talking about a product that replaces, like potentially eventually replaces a lot of your phone functionality and a lot of your computing functionality uh, and a lot of your entertainment functionality. So, you, you know, you're putting your TV, a computer and a phone all into one, uh, then it wouldn't even be crazy if it was because you know if you're combining a tell yeah like even just eventually if you don't even need a television that's how you watch television is to put on this device when it's really really good that's saving you what a thousand dollars fifteen hundred dollars for quite a good tv Mm -hmm. so it you know having it in the few thousands wouldn't be crazy is is kind of what i'm saying i guess um Mm. um yeah it's 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 an it's definitely an interesting product and it'll be interesting to see where it goes i was thinking um how i was wondering how investors were going to take it because obviously when mark zuckerberg announced all this metaverse development and whatnot investors took it horribly and actually yeah. apple stock so far is, is pretty flat it's pretty flat over the past five days it went up yeah. a bit and that's come down a little bit but over the last week it's really gone nowhere i think this is like it's an interesting time for VR because, especially if you're an investor, because most investors are short-term focused, so they see Meta pumping billions and billions of dollars into Metaverse development, they just run away. Yeah. But there is now Meta and Apple coming into the space. There is a genuine argument that this could potentially be the next big personal computing device. So I'm trying to think, like, as an investor... What what do you want if you're an investor in Apple? If you're an investor in Meta, do you want them to push hard and try and be number one, be the top dog in the space, and actually push for VR AR, or do you prefer for them to just test the waters and just see where it goes? I don't know. It's yeah, it's it's, it's, a, it's a tricky one. Yeah, because there's so there's so much potential positives like. It, it could change the way you work, change the way you consume media. It could change quite a lot of things. But at the same time, we're seeing what's happening with Meta. They're sinking so much money. Yeah. And I think what their revenue from Reality Labs was like a couple billion dollars in 2021 or something like that. Yeah. It's like, it's not a lot. So. Yeah. I think, I think the big thing is Apple for a very long time has had a, a significant control on how people uh, use software and access the internet. And that has created mm. a ton of value for Apple outside of the hardware. Uh and if this is a big shift away from people using their phones to this new hardware device of how they interface with the internet most of the time, then Apple really wants to maintain that control. They don't want to give that up to to, to Meta. Um, if people are just using their phones a lot less, then yeah, Apple would rather be the, the flagship VR headset than the flagship phone um, manufacturer anymore. Uh, so it mm-hmm. is, a, it's a, but it is a clearly a very expensive venture and it's one that's not... Uh, a, a widely adopted idea uh, or, or thing just yet. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see where this all ends up, but uh, I think it's anyone's guess at the moment. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, all right, Hamish, yeah. let's leave Apple alone. That's that's enough. That's enough Apple for one day. Um, yeah. What 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 have you got to talk about? Uh, let's talk. Let's talk about the SEC and cryptocurrency because uh, we haven't spoken about anything really in this world for a little while since the kind yeah. of the FTX. Stuff all happened. What was that? Was yep. that last year? Yeah, that must have been like late last year, I think. Uh, FTX and uh, S uh, S 
BF, Sam Bankman Freed. I, I've, yep. I think I mixed that up last <laughs> week. I was re- listening back to the episode and I think I oh, called wait. him SVB because there's. <laughs> it's, <laughs> that's man, that's great. just. Uh, yeah, that, I'm going to mess SBF? that up a bunch of times. Um, SBF, yeah. Um, anyway, Sam so. Sam Bankman Freed. Is he in jail yet? Probably not. No, no, no. Of course not. Yeah, of course not. <laughs> wait, wait another decade and then we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, wait till he has a couple of kids, a wife and a couple of kids, <laughs> and then another. <laughs> we'll go back into Wait till he does 11 years in minimum security. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. No, but uh, the big news is the SEC is finally going after some of these uh, these platforms. Uh, so there's kind of two stories here. I'll start with the first one, which was they filed 13 charges against Binance, the largest crypto trading platform in the world. Uh, so the SEC alleges that Binance and its chief executive, Zhao, uh, exercised supreme control over customer assets across company platforms. Uh, this level of control allowed Binance and Zhao to co-mingle or divert customer assets at will, including to an entity that the CEO owned called Sigma Chain, which conducted manipulative trades to artificially inflate his exchange's trading volumes. And if some of those words like commingling and and uh, offshoring to their own entity sounds familiar, <laughs> well, it's it's in part because that's some of the trouble that FTX and SB, SBF uh, were in last year. Uh, he was mm. he was found. Uh, you know, part of it was that he lost all of the money that he was commingling, uh, but he was putting deposits into his kind of trading platform. Uh, what was it? What was the trading platform called again? Um, Alameda. Alameda. That's what it was. Uh, so yeah, some of these these issues are uh, well, the SEC believes that some of these issues are also happening at Binance, which is um, which is kind of crazy. Uh, the SEC complaint also included a statement that they found from uh, the Binance compliance chief to a colleague. So they had this, uh, I guess it was an email probably, uh, that where the the Binance compliance chief said, uh, and this is a quote, we are operating as an effing unlicensed securities exchange in the USA, bro. (laughs) So that was like a little piece of, I guess, some of their evidence uh, that suggests that... uh, that uh, Binance very well knew uh, that um, they were they were not operating strictly by uh, the regulations. Uh, and a little bit more of this will make sense when I talk about the, the the other issue here, which is the next day they sued Coinbase, which is the second largest trading platform by trading volume in the world, accusing it of making billions of dollars by unlawfully facilitating the buying and selling of crypto asset securities. Uh, and this is something, mm. so, so Binance has their own issues about commingling uh, and they've actually been charged with some, um, w- with some things. Uh, but both Coinbase and Binance are also facing scrutiny from the SEC because up until now they haven't classified themselves as uh, actually being securities exchanges. Uh, and this has been something that's going on uh, for a while, which is there's not really a clear, uh, the, 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 there's no kind of, um, uh, no, no one's come out and, and classified cryptocurrency as either a security like stocks or whether it's mm-hmm. like a commodity. Uh, and uh, there's obviously, oh, not obviously, but there is a lot more uh, regulatory scrutiny uh, and, and, and compliance that needs to be done if they're classified as a securities platform. Uh, and of course, they would be regulated by the SEC. Uh, so this is where finally there's, there's, this is kind of coming to a head. So the SEC is alleging for Coinbase that at least 13 of the 250 cryptocurrencies on Coinbase are classified as uh, securities, 
Uh, Coinbase responded by saying that uh, US regulators' murky approach to regulating cryptocurrency is to blame for the suit. Uh, and, you know, because you have... Uh, uh, where is it here? Um, you have another US uh, uh, regulator that actually classifies cryptocurrency as a commodity. So there's, there's, you've kind of got the SEC, which is the Securities and Exchange Commission, which regulates securities, yeah. saying it's a security. And then you have another regulatory body saying, no, it's a commodity. Uh, and so well, which one is it? It is kind of all completely murky. All but um, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of resulted in the SEC going after a couple of these, um, a, a couple of these, these platforms. So, yeah. uh, so all we know so far is that they're just going after them. Pretty much. And we'll see what happens. It's just kind of been yeah. gone out. Man, the, what a quote, though. <laughs> that's that's a bit of a nasty quote to come up in evidence, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you don't want to be sending that via something recorded. <laughs> yeah. We're operating as an effing unlicensed securities exchange yeah. in the USA, bro. Yeah. And that's the compliance, the, the chief compliance what do you expect, officer. bro? Yeah. Um, which, I, which I thought was... Uh, was was pretty funny. So that that's pretty much and the Binance story. Binance is the biggest too. Binance, Binance is the biggest, is and the Coinbase biggest. is the second biggest. So they're going after yeah the the two the two big dogs, um, and uh, yeah, Crazy. but certainly Binance is facing the, the brunt of uh, of of the allegations uh, of you know commingling and uh, not exactly treating customer funds as they should be. Um, so uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, they FTX got in a lot of trouble for doing that. Yeah, trading away clients' money in Alameda Research—that was pretty much the whole thing. Yeah, it blew 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 FTX up. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. I don't know if I have anything really to, more to add on that. I guess it's it's kind of a it's a it's a, it's the start of a story, the start of an ongoing story. So I have to kind of keep tabs on it over time. Yeah, I, I imagine but we'll. What do you? Th- yeah, I imagine we'll have a lot more to say on this as it kind of progresses um, and potentially more evidence kind of comes out to uh, yeah. that, that we get to kind of see what happens. It's, you know, as soon as the FTX stuff started happening, it was, uh, you know, we, we heard a lot about it, but it took, you know, a few months before we could look back and go, ah, that's kind of the full picture of what happened. So this will probably be the same. Yeah, interesting that the F at the FEC, the SEC is actually going after him now. It's it's like the SEC is going after all of them in some way, shape, or form. It seems like so. It's interesting that the US just hasn't done some sort of blanket rule about cryptocurrency or even chucked in a couple more uh, uh, stronger uh, laws and regulations. But anyway, that's that. I guess that's it. Um, what's going on at GameStop? Yeah, this is another kind of uh, just a bit of side news um so so gamestop uh, this week reported their quarterly results which kind of came in quite poor and the market wasn't too happy about it uh but at the same time which uh, was also <laughs> investors weren't uh, too excited about was the fact that they also fired their ceo uh so uh, this week they fired uh matthew furlong as ceo and actually appointed board chairman ryan cohen as executive chairman, effective immediately. So nice. Cohen's um he's 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 weaselled his way into this company, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh. and and now he's at the top of the uh, at the top of the business. Um, so Cohen actually invested in GameStop in 2020. Uh, his firm bought 12 percent of the stock. Now, at least now they own 12 percent of the stock. 
Um, and then, yeah, uh, shortly after that, he joined the board of directors in 2021 uh, with two other executives. So he brought essentially three people onto the board, uh, which is, you know, th- that happens. That, that That's what a lot of kind of activist investors do. They buy a bunch of stock, use that influence in order to bring people onto the board and, and assert control over uh, the board of directors. Cohen, for those who don't know, uh, was previously known for founding a, a company called Chewy, which I believe was an online pet retailer. And the hope was at the time that mm, he was right. going to come in and bring his expertise of online retailing to help GameStop transition from being a physical retailer selling physical discs, uh, which they currently are, to having more of an online presence and moving into this digital age as uh, as, as the gaming space very quickly moves away from the purchase of physical games. Um, you can buy, you can pretty much download any game straight onto your console uh, or, or a PC. Uh, so a significant portion of, of GameStop's previous value is is deteriorating. Uh, so yeah, the hope was he would kind of come in and, and, and help fix things. Mm. Uh, and yeah, now he's the CEO. So he's, uh, he's, he's, he's very quickly moved up, moved up in the company. But <clears throat> along with this was the, the poor quarterly results. So uh, revenue came in at $1.2 billion for the quarter, which was down 11% year over year. Um, they've continued to struggle with kind of store closings and um, just a persistent decline in uh, interest of, of people buying physical games. Um, US sales dropped by 16%. Canadian sales dropped by 18%. Australian sales, which uh, some people forget GameStop owns EB Games in Australia, um, dropped 9%. Oh. And... Uh, uh, European sales were actually up 26%. So <clears throat> in their major markets, um, you know, just kind of persistent double-digit declines, unfortunately, uh, European sales have uh, have kind of offset that a little bit. Uh, the company attributed the drop in sales to currency fluctuations, uh, fewer significant gaming titles, title launches, and soft mm. sales in pre-owned software and hardware and collectibles. Uh, the net mm. loss for the quarter was $50 million compared to a loss of $157 million last year. Uh, so, you know, they're continuing to burn money, although they have, I think, over a yeah. billion dollars in cash. So they've, they've got a reasonable right, okay. cash uh, kind of war chest that they can burn yeah. through for the time being while they try and make this transition. Um, but yeah, it's not a not exactly a profitable company just yet. Mm. Uh, yeah. Sorry, did you want to say something? Oh, no, I, was, no. Cont- I, I don't have much to add when it comes to GameStop. I don't know much about their business, only that it's not doing so well. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not doing <laughs> and super it, hot. It, conti- it continues <laughs> to meme away. Yeah. <laughs> yep, exactly right. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't actually provide a reason for the firing, but they did say this. Uh, we believe a combination of these efforts to stabilize and optimize our core business and achieve sustained profitability while also focusing on capital allocation under Mr. Cohen's leadership will further unlock long-term value creation for our stockholders. How many buzzwords can we fit into one yeah. statement? <laughs> uh, sustained profitability, yeah. stabilize and optimize yeah. our core business. Yeah. Yeah. Capital allocation, leadership, long-term value creation. Yeah. That's unlock literally- <laughs> long-term value creation. So <laughs> good. Uh, so good. Yeah, so good. Um, uh, yeah, and unfortunately in the short term, they're not exactly unlocking too much value. The stock dropped 20%. In after really? hours on the news, um, crazy. Which uh, I'm sure is partly due to the earnings, but that's got to that's not yeah. going to feel good when you get uh, appointed CEO and the stock drops twenty percent. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, well, yeah. It's, I, I wonder if in time we'll we'll know why why the CEO was chucked out. Um, 
It'd be interesting. Or is it just uh, how much did you say that Ryan, uh, that Ryan Cohen owns or his fund owns? Uh, he owns 12%. And uh, yeah. Oh, it, so it's nowhere near like a controlling stake or anything like that. No, but interestingly, uh, so he brought in, so I believe, uh, I want to get this right, but I believe there was six members on the board uh, before the firing. Uh, and three of them, yep. uh, well, one of them was Cohen and two of them were Cohen, who, two people Cohen brought onto oh. the board. Uh, now, I believe the after the CEO left, I believe, yeah, I think there was, I can't exactly remember. I th- yeah, now, I'm not exactly sure who left, but now there's five members on the board. So now Cohen has majority. Yeah, it's a very small board of directors. Three out of five. And now Cohen has control of the board. So uh, this has likely been kind of a long-term plan of Cohen's to get on the board, bring some influence, and then potentially I'm guessing he was able to flip either one or two of the other members of the board to get rid of the CEO and give himself that position. But yeah, he only owns 12% of the stock, uh, which is a, you know it's a considerable chunk. He's the largest shareholder. But yeah. uh, he does now very much control the board. <laughs> um, so yeah, but it will be interesting to see if he now can uh, potentially assert more control over the direction of GameStop um, and... Yeah, uh, hopefully they they can uh, try and continue to turn around their business, which has unfortunately just been in decline for a, a very long time. Mm. Um, yeah, long term it doesn't seem to be a great business. Every all video games have just been sold online these days. But yeah, it's uh, you never know. I think Michael yeah. Burry kind of went into it with the idea of like the cigar butt, one last puff kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah, we'll see what he can do. Yeah. Anything more to add or that's about it? That's about it. That's about it. All right. Well, let's finish up with a couple of Q&A questions. As always, if you'd like to ask a question, please head over to the most recent uh, version of the podcast, either on YouTube, you can drop us a comment, or you can go over to Spotify and leave a question in the question box as well. Um, And uh, we basically just take them, drag them into the Google Doc and start going through them. All right, Hamish, what do we got? Yeah. What have we I'll, got? Uh, I'll, ask you, I'll ask you this first one. <clears throat> okay. Uh, aren't prices of stocks going up right now due to ETF bubbles? Prices going, mm, aren't, uh, prices going up simply because they're in an index uh, rather than because of their balance sheet. Uh, yeah, there is definitely a, an element of this. Uh, Michael Burry's spoken about this at length before, um, but he's not the only one. I mean, the idea is that uh, of this ETF bubble is that as passive investing gets more and more popular and more people want to invest passively, they put their money into ETFs. ETFs are tracking, say, the S&P 500. So all this money is going into the S&P 500 companies, not because they're necessarily cheap or their future prospects are amazing, but because they're in an index. And people know, well, they in the past, the index has gone up over time. We don't know what the future holds, but in the past, it's gone up quite reliably over time. So people just invest their money into index funds and hope for the best. But what this means is that, yeah, most of the money going into these stocks, or not most, but maybe a lot of it, is not going in because of business performance going up because they're in the index. So there's definitely, especially in something like the S&P 500, a lot of people invest in the S&P 500 so that can just inflate um, inflate stocks. Um, I mean, whether it's a bubble, I guess it depends on who you talk to. I think there's some argument to be made there. There's definitely an element of inflation of stock prices. I don't know what yeah. what you think about this, Hamish. Yeah, I um, think um, I, I think I've never kind of uh, 
thought that I was able to value the entire market, let's say, so therefore determine whether the entire market is overvalued. I've always kind of picked out individual businesses and and looked at their earnings and look at the price of the business and, and look at the quality of the business and determine you know, some individual businesses, whether they're overvalued or not. But when it comes to the whole market, I'll leave that to Michael Burry and, and Ray Dalio to make those, you know, broad, <laughs> uh, you know, economic predictions. Uh, mm. So so I don't know. But so I think, you know, if you're looking at individual businesses, uh, it, it really doesn't, even if the whole market is, let's say, in a bubble because of ETFs, it doesn't really matter as long as the individual business you're buying is is undervalued. Uh, mm, which, yeah. which, you know, broadly things could be overvalued, but there could still be and are individual opportunities to invest in good businesses. So that's where my focus is. I don't really spend yeah. all that much time thinking about this kind of thing. Um, yeah. I think maybe the takeaway is that if you are looking at one of those big S&P 500 companies and you're trying to figure out whether this maybe you like Google, for example, and you go in and you find, oh, you know, let's, let's do a valuation of Google, this ETF passive investing effect might make some of those companies quite overvalued. I don't know, but yeah. it might it might have that effect. So you yeah, and it is, a, it, right. it is significant. I mean, if you look at any S&P 500 company, Vanguard and BlackRock, the two kind of biggest, uh, the duopoly in the ETF market, mm. they each now own about 10% each of most companies or every company in the S&P 500. So combined... Vanguard and uh, well, basically through their ATF products, yeah, you've got this twenty percent chunk now of, of of businesses where the mm. stock is not being traded based on the individual position. Uh, it's being traded mm. based on the investor's uh, opinion about the market. Really, so it mm. is interesting. It's an interesting yeah. dynamic that's didn't exist twenty years ago or even really ten years ago. Yeah. All right, let me ask this one to you. Since treasury bond yields have gone up, will this make you consider putting a portion of your portfolio into treasury bonds? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. I think uh, if you go back to kind of 2017, 2018, uh, there was really little reason to have uh, all that much cash, I think, because it was just earning so little. Uh, it's earning nothing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the stock market valuations were arguably, you know, very high as well. So potentially you could have argued that there wasn't, you know, great returns from them as well. But uh, certainly now there are good options to put your cash to work, whether it's just a money market account, a, a term deposit. Um, there's quite good high, high interest, especially if you're in Australia, there's quite good uh, like high interest savings accounts that are now available that might have rules about whether you can with you, you know restricting you from withdrawing and that sort of thing or you lose the interest. Um, but there's certainly a number of products and, and treasury bonds is is one of them as well. Uh, but there's now yeah certainly a number of places that you can put cash essentially uh, into some kind of fixed income uh, uh, asset and earn a reasonable return. So yeah, I think it does. Uh, it, it should be a kind of a consideration. Um, what that breakdown mm. is for you will depend on your own personal circumstances and, and what you're trying to do long-term, whether you're saving for a house deposit so you want to have a bit more money in fixed income that's less affected by the broader market. Uh, you know, that's going to depend on your personal circumstances. So, um, but, but certainly it's, an, it's a more interesting environment where, uh, yeah, your cash isn't useless out of, uh, out of the stock market. Um, it's earning a reasonable return yeah yeah for sure um yeah i i i think the same i got nothing to add it's something to start looking at as rates go up more and more um i personally don't hold any bonds in my portfolio but i'm not making a judgment on bonds by saying that i think that they do um they can definitely fit into a portfolio very very nicely and yeah 
like what you said a couple of years ago, doing nothing. But now there's some of those, you know, even keeping money in the bank, some term deposits, yeah. money market, um, whatever it might be, bonds can maybe give you a little bit more. Yeah, I was looking, I, I don't know how this plays out for other countries, but in Australia, you high interest savings accounts, there's some that are offering four and a half percent. And I, I, I bad, think eh? a 30 day, a short term US treasury bond is like 5.4%. So you're getting a little bit more by going into bonds, but uh, but you know mm. you're exposing yourself to that interest rate kind of risk. Uh, so the currency risk, and you know 4.5 percent just in a savings account with some restrictions, but with really no effort on your part to manage that, is pretty good. Yep. So making sure you're taking advantage yeah. of, of those rates, um, it, you know, it's definitely worth it, especially considering the inflation. You know, 4.5 percent is great, but you're still um, unfortunately losing real returns. Yeah, yeah, aren't great, but yeah. It's just the world we live in at the moment. All right, Hamish, I think that's where we'll wrap things up for today. Um, yes. Thanks very much for watching, as always, guys. Um, always good uh, to have you listening in, and we appreciate your um, your support and, and your ongoing kind of viewership. As I said before, if you have any questions, feel free to go and ask uh, on the latest version of the podcast over on Google. Uh, on Google? Yes, on YouTube, <laughs> even. <laughs> uh, it's technically correct. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> an interesting way of phrasing that um, but all right <laughs> give it to me oh uh, we're drifting into the mid-afternoon now i'm starting yeah. to get a bit sleepy so we better bounce out of here but thank you guys very much for listening we hope you had a enjoyable time have a good weekend we'll see you guys next week see you guys